Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us for our broadcast today, which is part two to a mini-series entitled What to Do. This series was prompted by a listener question asking, what can lay people do during the clerical abuse crisis and the clerical homosexual crisis? Last time, I gave a prime recommendation, and I don't want to pass over it. Actually, I want to dig even deeper today into the prime suggestion recommendation that I gave you. And once we get that established, the practicalities of what to do should become rather clear, but you have to have an accurate picture of the situation we are facing. And what was that prime recommendation I gave you last episode? It's this, to develop a thorough knowledge of the great apostasy. Now, the prime biblical passage teaching the great apostasy is found in St. Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2. That is the most important scripture passage in the Bible regarding the great apostasy. And guess what? That part of chapter 2, particularly verses 3 through 11, which describe the great apostasy, are not in your Sunday readings. You are not going to hear it in Mass. And in a sense, even worse, there is one daily Mass where a part of 2 Thessalonians 2 is cited, but the way they kind of um, break off after one-third of a verse and add another verse, it literally twists 180 the meaning that St. Paul gives in 2 Thessalonians. Let's go a little bit further, that those who are catechized today regarding the last things, we call this eschatology. Eschatos in Greek means last, so eschatology means the study of last things. Now, to make it easy on folks, the church teaches eschatology as the four last things. It's a very convenient summary, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. It's a great summary, but in actuality, there's a lot more to the last things than those four things. And one of those additional things we certainly need to know about is the great apostasy. So if you're just doing in summary form, death, judgment, heaven, hell, you're not hearing about the great apostasy either. So we're not hearing it in the Sunday readings. We get it twisted in the daily readings. We're not getting it in the four last things. And we're not getting it even in those who are trying to say we, we are either in apocalyptic times or times that are going to resemble those times. I listened to a lengthy, rather intelligent discussion last week about Marian apparitions and the history of them in the last couple of centuries as it relates to the clerical abuse crisis. And even though it was a good discussion, in my estimation, the discussion was literally backwards. I'm old enough 
to remember as a boy, just loving to be able to go to a train station where you saw a complete train, a passenger train, and the caboose with all that magical, mystical kind of uh, aura about the caboose coming through a passenger train. Now, imagine if I was a boy waiting at the train station and the train came roaring in. Caboose first, passenger cars, and then finally the engine. <laughs> like Somebody's got that train backwards. Well, the way we approach discussing the great apostasy, people are beginning with apparitions, and there's nothing wrong with apparitions, particularly the approved ones, but they begin with the apparitions and then maybe some apocalyptic novels. Whereas in reality, this is how the train should go. You start with Scripture as it's being understood through the centuries by the church, by the popes, by the catechism. You start with the scriptures, like 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's where you start studying the great apostasy. Then you look at papal teaching. You look at your catechisms. You look at the church fathers. These are things that precede studying private revelation, which apparitions are. And apocalyptic novels, as exciting as they may be, are not even on the level of private revelation. It's just private thoughts. And people are driving the train backwards, hoping to get to an accurate picture, sensing we might be in an apostasy or perhaps even the great apostasy, but they're going about it the wrong way. So all last time, we spent time in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and since you never hear it read in Mass, I thought I'd better start with that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion or the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. This is the Antichrist. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you this, and you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed and the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by his appearing and coming. The coming of the lawless one will be the activity of Satan with all power and pretended signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are to perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends upon them a strong delusion to make them believe what is false, so that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. 
This is where we start to discuss the great apostasy. We don't start with novels. We don't start with apparitions and drive the train backwards and hopefully get back to the scripture and papal teaching and catechisms. No, we start right here. And last time, I gave you a summary of the restrainer. It said basically all this, the great apostasy, the appearance of the Antichrist, the deceptions of the end times, are restrained at the time that St. Paul was writing. He says, you know, I told you about this, and we didn't hear that other part of the conversation. We're only hearing half of the conversation through this epistle. But he says that this work is going on through human history, but there's going to come a point in time where the restrainer is no longer restraining and then pops up this evil of the great apostasy. And what I did was compared with you 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, particularly verses 6 through 8, about this um, restraint, and we go to Daniel chapter 10, and we find St. Michael, the archangel, defending the principalities and powers, the evil ones. He's restraining in Daniel chapter 10. And then we come back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we find this egomaniac, the Antichrist, proclaiming himself to be God in Daniel chapter 11. And historically, that was Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a precursor, a prefiguring of the Antichrist. And then right after that, we find Daniel 12 and verse 1, there is Michael. And there's a little bit of a te- technicality we went through last time where it says Michael will arise, or some translations straight from the Hebrew said he will stand, but that verb in Hebrew can also mean the equivalent of what the expression we say, stand down, because as soon as Michael does something in Daniel 12:1, we find literally all hell breaking loose upon the world, and then Later in Daniel chapter 12, we find the resurrection of the righteous, and that means that's the second coming. Daniel 10, Daniel 11, Daniel 12, along with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, what is interesting is in 1884, Pope Leo XIII, after celebrating Mass, had a vision of the divine council where Satan is asking God, challenging God, give me about a century to attack the church and I can destroy it. And uh, God grants permission to do this. And we don't know exactly why all this goes on, but it's very similar to what God allowed in the beginning of the book of Job in the Old Testament. Satan asked to be able to attack Job and that he would curse God uh, through his physical pain and, and loss of wealth and family. Of course, he didn't, but it's a similar thing that happened. And it was interesting, as soon as Pope Leo XIII saw this frightening vision of this attack on the church, an attack so powerful that it would seemingly have the ability to wipe out the faith. 
And as soon as he saw that, he goes into his private quarters and composes the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. I think this is highly significant. And again, I'm not pulling this out from an experience of the Pope. I'm starting with Daniel and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, then plugging in Pope Leo XIII in 1884, and even perhaps just as significant and not talked about is Pope Leo XIII's encyclical on the Holy Spirit in 1897, just a few years later. And remember, this is the same Pope who saw this vision of Satan given permission to try to destroy the church, who composed the St. Michael the Archangel prayer, and this is what he says in this papal encyclical. Remember, these are the kind of places we want to look to get our orientation. He says this, quote, In our days, this sin has become so frequent that those dark times seem to have come which were foretold by St. Paul in which men, blinded by the just judgment of God, should take falsehood for truth and should believe in the prince of this world who is a liar and the father thereof. God shall send them the operation of error to believe lying, citing 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. So here you have the St. Michael the Archangel prayer composed by Pope Leo XIII, and then, that's 1884, 1897, Leo XIII says, sin is arising in the modern world, and these were men with foresight, perhaps better than we can see the contemporary news. They had this foresight, and cites 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Then we have Pope Pius St. Pius X in 1903, he says this, There is good reason to fear, lest this great perversity may be, as it were, a foretaste and perhaps the beginning of those evils which are reserved for the last days, that there may already be in the world the son of perdition, whom the apostle speaks. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And then you have Pope St. Pius X and his apostolic mandate, and this is 1910. We were terrified beyond all else by the disastrous state of human society today. For who can fail to see that society at the present time, more than in any past age, suffering from a terrible and deep-rooted malady which, developing every day and eating into its inmost being, is dragging it to destruction. You understand, venerable brethren, what this disease is. Apostasy from God. And where do we find the apostasy from God? Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's go to Pius XI in his Encyclical to the Sacred Heart, 1928. These things, in truth, are so sad that you might say that such events foreshadow and portend the beginning of sorrows, 
That is to say, of those that shall be brought by the man of sin, who is lifted up above all that is called God or worshipped. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Are you beginning to see a pattern here? And it's interesting to me that in all the talk and the blogs and the broadcast on the current crisis in the Catholic Church, we're not talking about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which is where the conversation should begin. It doesn't have to end there, certainly not, but it's where it begins. And then you want to go and see what the Catechism says about these times. Last time I quoted you paragraphs from the Catechism of the Catholic Church that cites 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. These are being neglected from the conversations, or at least many, if not most, of the conversations of the present crisis. And if you don't get to the core of what's going on, whatever list of things you recommend we need to do, and all of the things being recommended are good things to do, but we shouldn't have an expectation of just a kind of a a quick turnaround here. Now, specifically, what parents should do, it's important to have knowledge about the great apostasy. And again, it's not in the Sunday readings. It's not listed in the four last things. Those are basically summary categories, but the great apostasy is a part of the last things. So we need to teach our children about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and the great apostasy. Hippolytus, who was an early church father, he lived between about 170 and the year 235, was an early church father, a writer. He has one of the earliest commentaries on Daniel, the prophet Daniel, that we have in the Catholic Church, and he also wrote the first treatise on the Antichrist. And he says this, quote, But having the mystery of God in our heart, we ought in fear to keep faithfully what has been told us by the blessed prophets, in order that when those things come to pass, we may be prepared for them and not deceived. I love the old Boy Scouts, not the new Boy Scouts, but the old Boy Scouts that taught you to be prepared. And when it comes to the times we're living in, to be prepared is to know what the prophets told us about the great apostasy in order that we not might not be deceived. And here's another very similar advice, but it drills at home for parents and catechists. And this is from St. Cyril, doctor of the church, a saint from his catechetical lectures. He says this, guard thyself, O man, that thou hast the signs of the Antichrist, and remember them, not only thyself, but impart them. If thou hast a child according to the flesh, admonish him of this now. If thou hast begotten one through catechizing, put him also on his guard, lest he receive the false one as the truth. Let us be on our guard. Do you get this? Now, some people think, hmm, you know, I'm a pretty clever guy, 
And in addition, I got my smartphone and I can contact any amount of information anywhere in the world. And, you know, I'm not really going to have, you know, a deception take over me by the Antichrist. Well, when 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says that uh, there's a test going to take place, this is going to be a very strong test. And large numbers of Christians are going to fail the test that will have consequences for eternity. And part of that test says that God sends them a strong delusion. God allows the delusion to take place on those who didn't want to believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, we've kind of gotten used to the point that, hey, you know, young people just don't follow the Ten Commandments anymore, getting ready for marriage. It's now become socially acceptable in Christian circles, Protestant and Catholic, to say shacking up before you're married. That's having great pleasure in unrighteousness. And if you think for that has now become somehow acceptable for Christians, you are already fully under the delusion of the end times. You are captured. You are blinded. You're being deceived. If you're a Catholic priest and somehow think practicing sodomy is somehow socially acceptable, and some of the other things we've been reading about is somehow okay because other people are doing it too in the clergy, you are already under the strong delusion. It's already taking place. And this is where it's the reality check. And people think, well, you know, I don't believe this is apocalyptic situation, but it's very, why not? Why not? Why don't we talk about it? Why do the saints, why do the popes, why do the church fathers, why did St. Paul emphasize this and we say, oh, it can't be that. Why? Archbishop Vagano, who has really opened wide the, the crisis before us going on in the church, said this, the cracks of which Pope Paul VI spoke from which he said the smoke of Satan would infiltrate the house of God, have become chasms. The devil is working overtime. Now listen to this last sentence. And not to admit that or to turn away our face from it would be our greatest sin. Do you get that? In other words, he is clearly talking about the smoke of Satan coming into the church. That's what Pope Leo XIII saw. That's what the St. Michael the Archangel prayer is about. That's why Leo XIII's encyclical is talking about in 2 Thessalonians 2. That's what St. Cyril is talking about. That's why the church father Hippolytus is talking about. That's what Pius XI is talking about. That's what Pope Pius X is talking about. And we can be free to talk about what has been warned about for the ages. It's part of a deception and a temptation to turn away from it. 
Lastly, I'm going to quote, and he's not a church father, he's not even a Catholic, but many of you listening can't begin to fathom what I would call the subhuman immoral acts of cardinals, bishops, and priests, and not just homosexual acts, but profaning holy things in the process of committing these sins. It's just, you just don't have a category for this. And C.S. Lewis, in the book called The Latin Letters of C.S. Lewis, says this, I feel that very grave dangers hang over us. The, this results from the apostasy of the great part of Europe from the Christian faith. Hence, a worse state than the one we are in before we receive the faith. Listen carefully. No one returns from Christianity to the same state he was in before Christianity, but into a worse state. The difference between a pagan and an apostate is the difference between an unmarried woman and an adulteress. Again, hear this carefully. For faith perfects nature, but faith lost corrupts nature. Therefore, many men of our time have lost not only the supernatural light, but also the natural light which pagans possessed. If I am correct in believing that we are either in the great apostasy or a time of apostasy resembling that final onslaught, then it's time to fasten your seatbelts. Because what we are seeing is not only the supernatural light being lost and returning to paganism, no, the natural light which pagans had, which Lewis points out, is also going to be lost. It'll be a worse state of paganism. So we're not reverting to paganism. We're reverting to something subhuman, sub-pagan, and it's going to be something that uh, words are probably very difficult to come up with to describe other than it's the great apostasy described in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, talked about in other parts of Scripture, repeatedly warned about by our popes in the modern world, in our catechisms, by Archbishop Vagano, by John Paul II, by C.S. Lewis, but not talked about too much today. I'm Steve Wood, your host. You've been listening to episode 209 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.